That last song, did anybody else just feel that? I, I don't know about you, but I feel like in our world right now, there's mountains, there's barriers, there's things that we're fighting against. The fact that we're wearing masks and we're down to what? Man, we need Jesus to make a way. We need him to move the mountains. We need him to, to come down and interact with us in a very real way and, and heal our land. If you watch the news or you see your social media feed or whatever you look at, we need the Lord, right? Thank you for being here, whether you're in the room this morning, if you're online, however you're joining in. Thank you for, for coming in and, and peeking into what's happening here at Watermark. We're in our third week of this series called The Upside Down Kingdom. And I know when we first started talking about this series, it's like, well, what does that really mean? Well, the first week, Ken laid it out. He said, you know, the world's ways are upside down from God's ways. And if you try to live in the patterns of the world and the way the world leads you, it's actually contrary absolutely contrary to what God would have you do. Last week we talked about the kingdom and how we're engaged in these struggles in the world and how love, justice, and righteousness should be our guides. And where do they come from? They come from the Lord. And as long as you, you seek his face, you begin to understand our role and how love, justice, and righteousness play every day. Well, today we turn it a little bit. We get a little bit more personal. Today I'm going to challenge you, and it's been challenging to me as I've prepared, but I'm going to challenge you of what your role is as a follower of Christ in the upside-down kingdom. How are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to act? How are we supposed to engage with our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, peers? How are we supposed to do this? Because in our world right now, we're told to do one thing, but Jesus in his kingdom would say quite a bit different. You know, this, this is odd, but as I was thinking of this message, this is really strange, I was actually thinking of the movie Aladdin. Come on now, any Aladdin fans? Not the recent one, which was good, but the 1992 animated film where Robin Williams is the voice of Genie. Any Aladdin fans? Right. I, I remember when that movie came out. I had just graduated high school. I was just in my freshman year. And I remember, <laughs> I remember going to the theater and watching Aladdin. In fact, I bought the soundtrack, and they used to have these things called CDs. I bought it on a CD, and I listened to that thing so much, I still have every song from that soundtrack memorized. Riff, raff, street, rat, scout. I could do the whole thing. It's all up there. And, and it was that type of movie that just grabbed you. Why did it grab you? Well, I have an idea why. There was the love story, which was one thing, and there was the, the guy from Rags to Rich story, which was really sort of cool. But I think Genie was the most intriguing character in that entire movie because he had all this cosmic power in this itty-bitty living space. Remember the line? And, and as I've thought about Genie and Aladdin, I'm thinking, wow, this really does play into the upside-down kingdom somehow and how you and I live in this world and interact and how we just love those around us. And you might ask, how? Well, in Genie, he had all this power. And the way I've thought about this, I'd equate somebody who just has vast resources, sort of in our modern day, has a lot of power. Just look around. Those who control the, the billions of dollars that float around really have a lot of power, maybe even like Genie. But... Imagine for yourself for a moment. What if you had unlimited resources? What would you do? Would you buy house after house in different locations around the country or the world? 
Would you buy hypercars and supercars and whatever kind of cars there are? I, my son talks about them all the time. I don't even understand what he's talking about, but would you buy lots of cars? Would you look into your closet and say, you know what? I want this label, that label, this, that, the other thing. Would you look at needs and problems and issues in our world and use your vast resources to be a part of the solution? If you had that at your fingertips, what would you do? I asked my son, again, what he would do if, if he had unlimited resources, and this was his answer. He said, Dad, I would build an amusement park that rivals Cedar Point. It would have an RMC T-Rex, which would have a 500-foot lift hill. It would get up to speeds of 120 miles an hour, 9,000 feet of track. It would have lots of airtime and, and poppy or what is it, something, transitions. And it would only cost $50 million for one ride. Oh, to be 13 again. But what about you? In John, John writes these words about Jesus. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus, God's son, the one who came here and lived incarnate in the flesh, really had that kind of power. And he was present at creation. He was present when there was nothing. And, and he helped and he was part of, as the word was with God in the beginning, he created everything. He has the type of power we're talking about. And back in, in the Old Testament days, and when Jesus was born, the Jews were expecting this powerful king, this conqueror to come and make all things right with Rome. They were expecting a conquering king with great armies and political clout and power. Is that how Jesus came? Or maybe many think of Jesus exactly like Jeannie. I have three wishes, and I'm going to pray those three wishes every day until they come true. And if they don't come true, he must not be a loving God who cares anything about his people. And sometimes when people don't get what they want after praying for those three wishes, they sort of walk and turn the other way. In Philippians, Paul records these words when talking about Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Listen to how Jesus lived with all this cosmic power, if you will. Who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. All this power. God walking on this earth. And he took the position of a humble servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of all of that, because of his humble nature and who he was, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God forever. Amen. Jesus coming to earth with all this power, and all of a sudden he decides to take the humble place of a servant and to serve and to be present, to wash feet, to go to where nobody else would go, and to love incredibly well. 
As we're talking about the upside down kingdom, that story, that bit of scripture explains exactly how Jesus flipped things upside down. Being God, he didn't come here to wanting to be, to be, um, wanting to be served, but he wanted to serve others. And as we dive into this today and really look at his life through the eyes of Paul, through Philippians, we're really going to see that when we focus on Jesus, all of a sudden what happens in Hollywood, social media, any kind of media, whatever happens in the world doesn't matter if we're not looking at it through the lens of Jesus and getting our information directly from him. Because everything else will take you into the world's kingdom, but Jesus stands firm and says, if you want to be great, you have got to be a servant in our world today. There are far too few servants who have that idea. The idea of the upside-down kingdom can be really hard to grasp because it's so counter to everything that goes on around us. And I remember when it slapped me in the face. It was a number of years ago. I was in Zambia, and we just visited a village. Say this 12 times fast. Muntu Wabalungo. It's a great name. But we spent the day, and it was actually my third time being to that remote village. We took a bus ride forever through the bush on roads that a bus had no business being on. We got to this little village, and for the whole day, and we did this other times, we learned together. We worshiped together. We, we cried together. We played together. We just sat and learned from each other. It was an incredible experience. And I remember this day so profoundly because although it appeared they, had, they lived in poverty and maybe in our standards they did live in material poverty, but you know what they had? They had great spiritual richness. They were alive in Christ. And, and I remember struggling with this and these words of Matthew were ringing in my ear, but seek first his kingdom, his kingdom and his righteousness and do not worry and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Did they have their struggles? Yes. Was HIV and AIDS ravaging their country? Yes. Did they live in real pain? Absolutely. Did they have the joy of the Lord alive in their hearts? Yes. Were they trying to make a difference? Was God providing for all of their needs? He absolutely was. I remember being on the bus for the hour and a half ride back to where we were standing, and I, and I sobbed. I sobbed. Because I came face to face for the first time with the upside-down kingdom. I, I saw how the things that I valued and the things that I thought were important really didn't matter much. My worldview had been changed. It had been shattered and altered in the most beautiful way. And I longed for what they had. I longed for that joy in my spirit, even though I, apparently I didn't have what I think I needed. I longed for their joy. Today we're going to take a long look at the book of Corinthians. And maybe you've read it before. And this would be my encouragement to you. After, you, after today, read the four chapters. I mean, not Corinthians, of Philippians. Read for, through the four chapters. They're profound. In the book of Philippians, Paul's writing to the first church in Europe. The very first church established in that continent. He's writing from prison in Rome to this church. 
And, and you think he'd be, you know, all down because he's in prison, but he writes a letter of great joy. And he talks about the gospel more in this letter than any others. He talks about the coming of Jesus and how he changed everything. And not only through salvation, but how Jesus should change not only our lives at salvation, but for the rest of our lives. And he gives instructions how his followers of Christ were to live. He gives a picture of the upside-down kingdom that you cannot deny. And we're going to dive into it. I read a little bit already to set the table, but here, here we are in the middle of second, um, sorry, Philippians. As you read this, and as I challenge you with the next few things I'm going to talk about, let your minds be open, because I may challenge some of your norms and ideas and the ways in which you live your life. So Philippians 2, 3 for 4. It gets really good right off the bat. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in, in humility, value others above yourselves. Ouch. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I remember when I saw this on display in the most unlikely of places. The date was actually November 23rd of 2015. It was the Monday before Thanksgiving that year. And, and Holly's uncle, my wife's uncle, gave my son and myself, actually gave them to my eight-year-old son, four tickets to the Bills-Patriots Monday night football game. Incredible. So my dad and my friend Brandon and my son and myself, we drove all the way there the day before. We spent the day on Monday, and then we walked into Gillette on the night of the game. My son was dressed in head, from head to toe in Bill's gear. He had his McCoy jersey on. He had his hat. You can put that picture up on the slides. He was ready to go. I had my Bill's hat on too. And, you know, walking into enemy territory like that is a little scary at times, right? If you've ever been to a Bill's game and a Patriot fan walks in, it's, it's bad news. We've all been there. We don't like them very much. But now we were walking into their territory. Totally different reality. We got to the stadium early. We found our seats, and we were just looking around. It was a spectacular setting. But as the crowd started filling in and gathering in around us, I, I felt the need to address the Patriot fans that were all around us and set the tone for the rest of the game. I said to them, I turned around, looking to the fans behind me. I said, you know what? As you can tell, we're Bills fans. They said, yeah, we see your hat. Got it. And I said, whenever the Bills do something, we're going to stand up and we're going to cheer as loud as we can. Wouldn't you? And I'll never forget what this person said to me. Well, you won't be cheering very much. So I cheered all the louder the rest of the game. But something incredible happened as we were at that game that day. It was really incredible. Uh, they looked out for my son. When, they, when everybody was standing, they made sure that he could see the field. There was even somebody near us, and Jake, tell me if I'm wrong, that had a bag of peanuts, and they kept offering us peanuts and saying, here, take these, do you want something to eat? It was unbelievable. They were Patriots fans. But they kept offering us stuff, and they treat us incredibly well. If Patriots fans can get right what I'm about to share with you, we should have no problem being able to do it ourselves. Because as followers of Christ, we're to value others above ourselves and look to their interests as better than ours. We're to look at the world around us and stop being so self-focused, 
Stop thinking about our needs, our wants, our desires, and all the things that we think should be going right in the world, and instead focus our attention on those around us. Focus our eyes and our ears to those who are in our world who might need our help and our influence. And stop being so bound up by what we think we need. Ouch. I saw it on display that night, and I think it's incredible. But when we focus on ourselves, love and unity are not our true goals. When we focus on ourselves and our own wants and desires, it's really hard to be united and to be one. It's really hard. But when we consider the needs of others as greater than our own, when we look at the world around us and see the things that are happening and realize they're greater than our needs, all of a sudden we begin to live in mutual love and unity. Our world needs this right now. We don't understand love and unity. We're divided everywhere we look. Our world needs you and me to live in this way where we consider the needs of others as greater than our own where we pick our heads up from the mundane in our lives. And, and maybe uh, I was talking to a friend just <laughs> Friday, and it, it matters what kind of goggles you have on. If you have goggles that are all full of doom and gloom, what are you going to see when you look around the world? You're going to see doom and gloom. If you're already tainted before you see anything, that's what's going to pour out of your heart. But if you, as you look in the world, if you change your goggles, if you change your glasses, if you will, and you put on the way Jesus would view the world, then you consider the needs of others as greater than your own. As you look around, you, you try to figure out how you can be a part of what the Lord's doing in the world as opposed to what you think you need to be doing. So what I'm telling you is to consider everything that goes on as Every, every need, it sounds so weird to me, even coming out of my mouth, but consider the needs of others as greater than your own. We're all created in the image of God, every human being who walks this earth. Everyone. And because of that, we should treat each other exactly like that, valuing others above ourselves. I think Paul is clear here in, in Philippians when he says this, that we're to consider the needs of others as greater than our own. As a result, we value others above ourselves. How do you do with that? When you look at everything happening around in our world, do you consider others' needs greater than your own? It's really challenging. Philippians 2, 13, 12 through 13. Therefore, my dear, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in the presence, it, not, not, <laughs> but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you and will act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You know, as you read that in the NIV, there's a couple of challenging phrases that it's hard to wrap our minds around. Work out our salvation. What exactly does it mean to work out our salvation? And then with fear and trembling, if he's a loving God, why should I fear and tremble? Sometimes it doesn't make sense. 
when, when I find scriptures like that, that I, uh, you know, that on paper just don't really click, I look at other translations of the Bible and try to figure out, you know, and pull different resources in. And as I read that scripture in the Passion Translation, this is what I got. My beloved ones, just like you've always listened to everything I've taught you in the past, I'm asking you now to keep following my instructions as though I were there, right there with you. Let me pause there. My beloved ones, my dear friends, as Paul's writing this letter, he's writing it to people he cares for very deeply people he loves, he spent time with, he's watched grow and mature, and, and he's writing to close, close friends. And he also begins in the NIV with, therefore, he's switching from Christ's humility and what he did. He's switching the theme now to what you and I are supposed to do in this world, how we act, what we do. As it is said, I'm asking... Um, I'm asking you now to keep following my instructions as though I were right there with you. I go to my kids. If my kids ever really did the dishes or the laundry or cleaned up the rooms without being reminded, wouldn't that be incredible? Any of you who are parents, how would you feel if you came home and the house was miraculously cleansed from head to toe? I think that's what Paul's saying. As much as we'd enjoy that as parents, he wants us to have that, that same thing where we keep following and doing what he says, but what, then he goes on. Make this new life fully manifest, manifested as you live in holy awe of God. We have to pause there. Make this new life fully manifested. Make your new life in Christ on display for the world to see. It's not just accepting Christ and sort of stepping off to the side, but once you know, and once you know the beauty of the gospel message and who Jesus is, live out loud. Make sure nobody has any doubt who you are or what you believe in or what your heart is all about. Step into that relationship and, and live out of obedience every single day. Practice, demonstrate your faith wherever you go. That's what working out your faith means or now that make this new, uh, this new life fully manifested in you. Live out your faith. How do we know how to do that? As we read the New Testament, especially the four Gospels, and we see how Jesus lived in this world, we're to do those same things. We're to live exactly how he did. And as a result, here's the second one. This is so obvious. You and me, we are to love like Jesus. All right, pastor, I've heard that message before. Why do you keep saying love like Jesus? Because we're not really good at it. Because, because in our world, and it, it's easy to identify Christians who don't love like Jesus when you just simply look at their social media posts sometimes. Ouch. It's easy to see Christians who, who you know love Jesus, but you see their actions, you're like, what are they really doing? How does this make sense? It, it sounds basic, but it's really challenging, and it's integral to the upside-down kingdom, where you and me as followers of Christ, we're to live like Jesus everywhere, to love like Jesus everywhere we go, in every setting. John 14, 12 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus even says, 
that you and me will do greater things than he did while he was here on earth. Let that sink in. We have the potential through the power of the Holy Spirit present in our lives to do even greater things than Jesus did. Does that blow your mind? When you think about what he did as you read the Gospels and he healed and he did and he fed and he did all that, you can do greater things when we love like Jesus when we do what he did in our world. When we take the words of the gospel seriously and put them into practice and we learn how to love like Jesus, we can impact our world in profound ways. Two friends of mine, Scott and Maher, who live in Lebanon are in the middle of a horrific situation. And they sent this video this week and I want to show it to you as, as I see two of who I would consider close friends who are living in the middle of Beirut in a very challenging time. Go ahead and play that video. Hello, everyone. My name is Scott Kiernan. I'm the Director of Operations for Youth for Christ Lebanon. And today I'm here with Maher, and we want to talk about, first of all, saying that thanks to generous support from folks like yourself, we were able to feed 300 families with a month of food. Today, Maher and I are out in the Bekaa Valley in the eastern part of the country where many refugees are present. And the reality right now is while we've done a good job of helping to feed them for a month, uh, the country is moving into famine because we have 80% of our food comes from outside the country. And Maher will explain what's going on with the currency fluctuation right now and how that's impacting everyday families. I'm Maher Al-Hajj, the National Director of Youth for Christ Lebanon. Um, although we're not a humanitarian organization, we are a youth ministry organization, but we can't sit still and not help the people as they're going through uh, hunger. Uh, our, our money has devaluated at least by 80%. Uh, people are living on uh, very minimal right now, barely $60 a month. Um, famine is on, a, on, a, on the doors. The most affected right now are the Syrian refugees that even if they had a job, they lost their job. Even they if they had a bit of money in Lebanese, it, it means nothing right now. So uh, in the last couple of months, we provided uh, food for 300 families. We're thinking right now to do a project for 500 families. Uh, and it will cost $66 per family. It will feed them for one month. So we're grateful for our partnership and we look forward that we can do this together so that more families in Lebanon would be fed, but also would know the gospel through our relationship and the love of Christ between us and them. Thank you for your support and your prayer. God bless. I've been getting their email updates for weeks. Their country is really on the verge of famine. You heard him say it. The refugees who have streamed in for Syria for the last number of years have nothing. They're going to die in their tents. And Scott and Maher have seen this in their whole organization and others I love in Lebanon as well. And they've said, you know what? We cannot stand by and let this happen. We can't. We need to love like Jesus. We need to step into the pain of our, our friends, of our brothers and sisters and provide for them in a way that will give them life. And as they do, they, I know their hearts. They present the gospel, and they're seeing transformation. Scott was born in Beaverton, Oregon. He felt the call to go, and he went. 
to love like Jesus. You don't have to travel to Lebanon or even Pennsylvania or Vermont or Ohio. You can stay right here. But what are the things in your world, what are the opportunities right before you to love like Jesus every day as you put on your other goggles and you see the world differently? How can you love like Jesus everywhere you go? I have one more point, and the third one is actually the most challenging. You know, I've encouraged you to value others above yourselves and then to love like Jesus. But the third one is, is definitely a lost concept in our world today. Absolutely a lost concept. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Let this first sentence just sink in. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. As you love like Jesus, as you value others above yourselves, we need to get to the point where we do those things without grumbling or arguing. We're really bad at that. If you go anywhere right now, you see people are in their camps, one person on one side, one on the other, and the two don't mix in the middle. Because when they do, there's just grumbling and arguing. Without grumbling, without murmuring, without complaining, we're to consider the needs of others as greater than ourselves. We're supposed to live our faith out with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling because we serve an almighty God who's powerful and above all. Who we would bow and fall at his feet if we ever saw him because we wouldn't know what else to do. We're not supposed to serve out of grumbling or complaining or flat out arguing. That's not who we're created to be. But as I look around, I see that all the time, living out our faith might require that we do things that are uncomfortable. It may require that you, you have conversations with people who have different convictions about so many things than you do. And you really engage and listen and learn. You just don't try to jove, shove your point of view down somebody's throat, but you engage in genuine conversation. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Just sit and learn. You might actually talk to a lot of people who have different political perspectives. Some of my friends in the world who are doing the greatest work for the gospel are firmly in a liberal camp. I have other friends who are conservative who are doing great work for the gospel. We're told we can't live in the middle. We need to figure that out without arguing and grumbling and complaining. How do, we, how do we live in that space? You might be asked to go to an area of the city you're not comfortable with. You might be asked to go across the, across the tracks, wherever the tracks are for you, to another place that you just don't belong, maybe, to love like Jesus. And when you go, you go without grumbling or arguing. You might be asked to speak healing into a relationship that's been severed in your life for years 
but you're supposed to go to that person and, and reconcile without grumbling or arguing. To love like Jesus and to value them above yourself. To live in the upside down kingdom. When Jesus was near the end of his earthly life, near the end of his ministry, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was there because he knew he was about to hang on a Roman cross. And remember his, that whole interaction? He, he, he was praying and drops of blood were pouring out of him like sweat because of the anguish he felt. And he said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. God didn't take the cup from him. And then Jesus said, okay, your will, not my will, be done. And Jesus went to the cross without grumbling or arguing because he knew that's what the Father was going to have him do. And then he laid down his life. As we follow that example of Jesus and see how he was faithful and did what God wanted him to do, even to the point of dying on a cross, we can handle the opportunities to, to not grumble or complain that come up in our lives. With the strength that God gives you as he, he's present in your life, you can be victorious in those, whatever the opportunity is, to not grumble or complain but to live your life as a follower of Christ in, in a broken and crooked world. To live out your faith in, in incredible ways. To stand firm in what you know and, and, and believe it. And then not just beat people over the head with it, but engage in conversation just like Jesus did. Ask questions. Be present. So do everything without grumbling and or complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Apparently, when you grumble and argue, you're not blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. If this generation, when Paul was writing here in Philippians, was warped and crooked, I think we can say ours probably is too. We could probably apply directly most of what he wrote directly into our world today, word for word, some cultural variances here and there, but he's writing directly to us and he's telling us, your world is warped and crooked. Become blameless and pure. Do not argue or grumble when you serve me. And our whole lives should be about serving him. So grumbling and arguing really don't have a place. And then, I love this, this imagery, and then we'll shine like the stars in heaven. Picture the, the most starry night you've ever seen. It was last year when I was in the Adirondacks on Elevate and we climbed a mountain starting at midnight and the stars were, were from horizon to horizon as bright as I've ever seen them. Without those stars, the sky would have been pretty black and dark. There wouldn't have been a whole lot going on. But as we as followers of Christ live in this way, we begin to be points of light in an otherwise dark and broken and crooked world. 
as we live in the upside-down kingdom and begin to understand what this means, we bring light into the darkness, just like the stars of the sky. We're to live at peace with others. We're to live at peace. Do you have those people that when they email you or text you, you sort of see their name in your inbox or on your phone, you're like, ugh. Do you have a few of those? And as you open it, you're like, yep, just what I expected. More arguing, more grumbling, something's not right. Do you have those people when you see their name in your inbox or on the text, you're like, oh, I can't wait to read that one. Because they speak life into me. They speak joy. They speak goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self. They, they speak the fruit of the Spirit into my life. Which one are you? When somebody gets your text or email, what do people think? Pastor Keith from Springville said he was adding that to the message today, and I said, yeah, I have to use that too. Because it's a good gut check for each and every one of us. So as, as residents of the upside-down kingdom, as, as Christ's people in this world, we're to value others above ourselves each and every day. We're to love like Jesus and we're to live at peace with others. As you read through Philippians this week, you will see how Paul just unveils the upside-down kingdom for all of us to see. He reveals it in such a beautiful way. So please read these four chapters this week and soak in what he's saying because it will be so valuable to your walk with the Lord. Central to all of this is Jesus being our Lord and Savior. How you view Jesus is very important. Jesus just isn't some genie who grants you three wishes. <laughs> so much more. He's deeply concerned about your life and how you live. John 10.10 10 says, A thief comes to only steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He's not a genie. He's the Savior of the world who came here to change everything, to change and reveal the upside-down kingdom so that as his followers, we, we bring joy to this world, to our friends, to our communities, to our places of employment, hopefully to our schools. We are the salt that makes everything better. So as you live in these three ways, as you look at how you can value others and love like Jesus and live at peace with others, you begin to be a part and you begin to learn what Jesus said, well, you will have life to the full because as you live that way, it's just a better way to live. And you will experience God in fresh ways every day. Every day. Jesus invites you and me to be a part of this upside-down kingdom and to live in this way, counterculturally, in ways that don't make sense to anybody else around that's our call as followers of Christ. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the ways in which you, you spoke through Paul in this letter to the Philippians and, and how those words are so applicable for us today. God, I pray that as your people, we wouldn't view you merely as some genie that gives us wishes, but we would view you 
as Lord and Savior of our world and we would follow you. We would take up our crosses daily, sacrificing our own wants, needs, and desires to live for you and to do exactly what you did in this world, Jesus. Change our minds, change our hearts, change our thoughts, change our actions so that they line up with you. And in the chaos of our world, that is all over right now, but that in the chaos of our world, we will shine bright like the stars in the sky, bringing light into the darkness, helping people to understand there's a different, there's a better, there's, there's just a, a way of living that just makes more sense. And as we do that, Father, may others be attracted to you through our actions, words, our very lives. We thank you for times like this to focus on the things that really matter. Lord, I hope that the, I pray that the words spoken, that you spoke through me would sink deep into all of our hearts and change even the way we think about ourselves and our, 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 our lives. And I pray in your mighty and powerful name, in the name of Jesus, amen.